Eddie, be honest. Are you in are you in the wildlife refuge? I am. Did you take over the wildlife refuge? I don't consider it a taking over, John. I consider it a taking back. <laughs> as in as a nature man, I'm taking it back. <laughs> You're made of nature. You should know what's good for for uh for America because America's made of nature. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and to yours and to Yorn. <laughs> well, thank you. My Yorn is doing fine. <laughs> Um, yeah. And you? I'm excited. I just I just learned about this uh, uh, siege, this besieged uh, Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. I d- I didn't dare office. I didn't dare try to pronounce the name. Have you been to this um, this spot? Being as you're now an Oregonian, I am an Oregonian. This is in near Burns, Oregon. Yeah, which even our uh, our mentor. Uh, Bill Kittredge, who grew up in the area, may never have been to Burns. Wow! <laughs> uh, I think I think it's actually the closest town to his old family uh, ranch in the Donner and Blitzen Valley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it's way out there. Burns is far from anything. I think uh, it may, in fact, be the attitude of the feds that uh, you can have it, man. <laughs> you want you want to keep. You want to pay the bills? You know, keep the lights on. That's great, man. You're you're in charge of that now. You haven't taken it over. You are you're in depu- hereby deputized to be in charge of that building. I uh, you know I've never been super um, sympathetic to the militia movement, but um, these guys seem particularly. I, it seems that they're just mostly a a bunch of dumb assholes. Oh yeah, but this this family is kind of dangerous, actually. This is the son of of uh, oh, Clive and Bundy, right? Clive and Bundy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this is the kind of comic little things that do lead to people getting shot. Yeah. Oh no, I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't misunderestimate the danger here. Um, oh, there's not there's not much danger out there in in this particular situation. I think there was a the Oregonian article said that uh, you know some residents were concerned that there might be um, you know real trouble. You know, with this this takeover, um, and that there was a march. Didn't say how many people attended the march. It might have been two or three marchers. It might have been hundreds. Um, probably a single file, five or six people uh, walking by and singing some songs and throwing pennies at the building. I think signifying that uh, they were <laughs> buying it back, or here's some money. Or Lincoln doesn't like this. That's so weak. the best detail is that then uh, two little girls swooped in and took picked up all the pennies. <laughs> of course, they're the people. Those are my favorite characters in this story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is the dynamic between the two little girls, one whose idea it was, and one who probably just got pulled into it. Yeah. And uh, and what are they going to buy? With what pennies? do you buy in Burns, Oregon, with fifty know. or sixty pennies, John? Jerky, little jerky. You make your own jerky out there. So you can't, buy no can't even buy it? You reach up and pull it off the jerky string. It's <laughs> out behind every every mom and pa's house. Like uh, clothes on a hanger. They've got beef jerky. <laughs> and antelope jerky. Goose jerky. Just hang, <laughs> hanging from the line. 
wheel, uh, I'll wheel it into the house if it gets too cold out there. <laughs> Ma, it's too cold. Wheeling some more of that goose jerky. <laughs> Wait a minute. What kind of is it on a vehicle? How are we wheeling it? Oh, uh, like a closed line wheel. Sometimes it's a closed <laughs> oh, line. Oh, I see. Like you're a, pulling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a wheel. But really, John, I think we're talking about the wheel of time. <laughs> the sense that things, uh, <laughs> events happen. People pass into our lives. They pass out of our lives. Times pass. Yeah. And then people... they come back. People time pass, past and pass time into present, our lives and pass jerky out. future. It's all rolling back to us in Burns, Oregon. The Pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Pennies on the dollar in Burns, Oregon. M and Bundy, um, M and Bundy talked on the phone to CNN. <laughs> Asked several times what he and those with him want. He answered <laughs> in vague terms. <laughs> Saying that they want the federal government to restore the, quote, people's constitutional rights this refuge it has been destructive to the people of the county and to the people of the area he said and then it goes on to talk about how this same group um just went out and slaughtered 130 deer on federal land once and they ended up having to close the close the land to the public for two years yeah they don't live near there also is a, a point where do These they live? Bundians do not do not live near. Well, his the father lives in Nevada, right? Yeah, they're all in Nevada or Utah or so they're some fifty first a... state that we still haven't discovered out there. It's <laughs> <laughs> just filled with Bundys and polygamists. What's it called? The, that the fifty first state. Flemb. <laughs> <laughs> East Flem, West Flem. Flem. <laughs> so magical so state that borders both Utah and somehow Kentucky. I just I just typed it out to see how it might be spelled, and how it's spelled is P H L E G M B. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Well, this puts me in the mind of, um, of course, of John Linnell's song Oregon. Uh, which Oregon all Oregon is bad. Stop it if you can. Run away. Run away. Yeah. From the penthouse uh, to the prison, to the humble pied de terre, are they taking up the cry? In the brothel, in the castle, on the crowded boulevard, do they sing the dreadful words, the, Oregon is bad. To the humblest pied de terre. Stop yeah. it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, we're familiar with these sorts of actions. When we lived in Montana, we had, yeah, the, we had uh, everywhere you turned. Yeah, they were all around. And of course, the my big one of my greatest Missoula memories is um, when the Unabomber turned up twenty minutes down the road in Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then all the reporters set up at the Seven Up. Oh, that yeah. was great. That was a good yeah. day. And the Freeman. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the further Freeman. on down the same highway, if you just keep on going out Highway 200 down. Yeah. You go from Lincoln, which is kind of at the top of the front range. If you go down Lincoln out into the the, the plains a couple hours, you get to whatever town that was that the Freeman had. Uh, yeah, were occupying. Uh, it's uh, it was the just... time of the the uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, Ruby yep. Ridge. I remember the uh, the the uh, federal building. 
and the, I guess maybe a state government building and the post office across the street in Missoula were surrounded by caution tape and closed for a little while after the, uh, um, after the Oklahoma city bombing. I'm actually looking up now that, um, my band caution tape. Yeah. Caution tape. (laughs) Uh, looking up the Freeman now and I guess the, I guess they went to jail. Most of them. Oh, I don't, did they? I don't remember what they did even. Yeah. Uh, I remember Dan- that there, whatever they, there in the, in the list of, of things that started comically and ended tragically, in those years, they were uh, not the most impressive, but maybe the most numerous. I think it was a big crowd, and again, mostly family. Yeah. This is history brought to you by the Lunchbox Podcast. It seems that wherever you live, Ed, there se- there is a, there is a crazy ultra conservative family doing insane things that start out funny and end up tragic. Yeah, perhaps even my own. Wait, except for Seattle. Wait, your your family is my everything all right? Yeah, well, it starts out comic, and then everyone except for me is pretty. My brothers and all of them are pretty hyper conservative. Yeah. My dad even says that I'm conservative. I was saying, no, look, here, here's, here's my positions on a variety of policies. He says, no, you're conservative because you don't want things to change. Just, we, have, we, have, we have different ideas of what it is that we don't want, that it is that we don't want changed from. Yeah. But uh, I think he has a point. I really don't want things to change. I just think that my, my policy, think, I don't want things to change from the direction that they were going when things were looking good <laughs> you're getting vaguer you're getting vaguer and vaguer vaguer yeah. than Ammon Bundy at this point mm. <laughs> here's my list list of demands and evolve into various toppings for the pizza <laughs> not a question of where you know where should the pizza come from well where all pizzas come from God they're all we're all just little triangular slices of God's pizza plan <laughs> but this is all silly uh, it's good to see you John happy new year I hope yeah, you yeah, all yeah we really need we need to get started we need to get started Ed, on the on the serious pursuits of our podcast at this point this is a reminder it's that the Lunchbox podcast with Ed and John is brought to you by nobody Except for Ed and John, mostly John, I'd like to point out. Hey, and if you want to, uh, well, the tech side. If you want to uh, uh, let us know that you listen to it or like it or dislike it, you could let us know by emailing us or, or twittering to us. And we have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could, in lieu of, of uh, if you want to do something nice for us, go to a store and buy one of our books. <laughs> we make nice Twelfth Night gifts. <laughs> And what Martin Luther King Day morning is not complete without a uh, a big ambitious novel or a slim volume of verse. <laughs> yeah, it's this. These are ideal gift ideas. Ideal. <laughs> oh man! Well, the the um, the militia has uh, driven from my mind all the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Did you make any? Uh, oh, I, I remember remembering them now. They're dreadful. What, have you made any uh, New Year's resolutions? No. Nope. In no. fact, I uh, we we were in bed by nine o'clock on New Year's Eve. Yeah. I ate no no black eyed peas on New Year's Day. Um, it's in in a 
uh, I'm sort of disregarding the new year. I feel like last year is not fully concluded. Oh, really? I, I'm, I still, I think, uh, I think in many ways it's still about year 2000 for me. <laughs> what needs to happen for you to feel caught up? I don't know. I need, that's what I need. That's what the new year is supposed to give a feeling of, right? Completion. Yeah. Um, and then the, the side effect of completion is renewal. Um, I did something to make me feel caught up. I don't know. An empty inbox. Oh, yeah. The dream of an empty inbox. Mm-hmm. Um, the completed author questionnaire for my next book, which I'm putting off. <laughs> I trying to those. describe it. It's um, funny because I love talking about myself, but the author questionnaire for the for the book um, seems like an, uh, an unfathomably terrible chore. Why? Well, I don't know. My, the, I could I could endlessly <clears throat> phrase and rephrase the uh, the permutations of the the tangram of my autobiography, <laughs> you know, within that hundred and fifty words. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's the trying to describe the book in three hundred words, fifty words. You know, what are a few lines or poems that uh, that they might want to draw people's attention to? Um, jacket copy. These are all delightful things to be thinking about, but I just can't sure. can't just pull the trigger and make decisions. Procrastinating, yeah. John. Are other um, are other professional subgroups? Um, there's a problem I think we have as writers, which is when we were younger. Of course, all we wanted was to publish books, and uh, you and I have achieved that goal, and we have achieved a certain degree of notoriety as as purveyors of the stuff we make uh and the you know the us of 1993 presented with the with the facts of the us of 2015 uh would probably be overjoyed to oh, hear sure. where we're at oh you know and I'm, yeah. and I don't pretend for a moment that I'm not overjoyed to be where I'm at however these little irritations these minor humiliations that go along with the territory, no one outside the sort of clique of writers can be complained to about them because it sounds like the absolutely the most miserably narcissistic whining yeah. imaginable. Well, I'm not why I hope it's not like I'm whining or or that I'm irritated. Yeah, um, I'm I'm complaining about my own procrastination. Okay. Rather than the the act, which I'm delighted to do, I'm yeah. I, I love doing it, and uh, you know the book and everything. I'm I uh, it's my own procrastination and hesitation to to make a final uh, decision on uh, how I want the book to be seen, separate from the what the book itself says. But right. that isn't that a thing in my case. And this is one of the reasons I stopped reading reviews is that not only don't I want a role in how the book is to be seen, I don't want to know how it has been seen because it's never going to be right. Right. You know? No, that's that's right. So here's an opportunity to really fuck things up (laughs) or only slightly fuck things up. (laughs) I think that I don't think I described uh, the previous book's 
in a way that was helpful to those who genuinely wanted a little bit of help as to what's what's going on. So can you, you give know. an example of a thing that you said or a, a, fr- a framing device you employed about your previous two books that later came back to bite you in the ass? Or is it just <laughs> well, a general either, either sense too, of... Either too precise, like this is a book about uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Right. Which the but it's not it is it is and it isn't yeah if uh, if you say if you put too much emphasis on it being that then it's not satisfying or or f- fair to the real life events um, or descriptive of the book mm-hmm. but to say that but to leave that out of the description of it is also not true because it is very much about it I mean. The degree to which yeah. it is and isn't, is, I think, is really something to be completed by the reader. Is that not one of the me. joys of any kind of art, especially any kind of literature, particularly any kind of poetry, that the extent to which it is and isn't about the thing that it's about, that, that sort of no man's land is a delightful and enigmatic place to be in. And a thing that's shared between sort of the like, writer and the reader. Sort of like federal land in Oregon. <laughs> Uh, I think you, did I lose you? Yes, yes. I think you you're trying to drift your mic for a second, and you were drifting all over the place, it, almost almost as though you were riding podcasting from horseback. <laughs> I, oh, I'm on a horse in the uh, in the uh, John. But I've I've always been podcasting on horseback in the Malays National Wildlife Refuge yeah. in Oregon. Me and my trusty Appaloosa um, Tam Tam, <laughs> which is my son's invisible horse friend. Oh really? Yeah. Um, I've always, I've got the uh, microphone attached to his ears, and uh, <laughs> as long as I f- f- keep him, uh, give him some oats and something to read, he's he's fine. He tends to eat whatever reading material I put out for him. <laughs> Maybe this is an area we should look into, actually, because you know that I was delighted by uh, by the uh, article in the Stranger recommended a bunch of writer podcasts and ours was right. among them uh with a very handsome picture of you probably right. and I and I have Written. to say Ed, that's my favorite photo of you even though and I say this as someone who is a rather passionate amateur photographer and has taken what I think are some pretty good photos of you that is my favorite photo of you you're, you're very right? handsome yeah it's uh, nice. but anyway it's, nice. it's taken by the photographer for the Stranger a few years ago, Kelly O. Well, uh, I like it. Is she any relation to Karen O. from the uh, um, the AAS? Yeah, she's from the Plattsburgh O's. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. But anyway, maybe we should. Uh, but it made me realize that there's not only is there a glut of podcasts, there's a glut of writer podcasts. So maybe we should, maybe we should branch out into horse podcasting. Horseman's. I'm sure there's there's a lot of horsemen's or horsey podcasts. <laughs> Probably some that are just whinnies. It's just thirty <laughs> minutes to sixty minutes of whinnying. Yeah, that was very nice of of, of journalist Rich Smith to uh, as opposed um, to poet Rich Smith. <laughs> just, it Different seems one. It gives, more, it gives his judgment more credence if we. If we assign him his, his official title as stranger journalist covering books and and national affairs for the stranger. Yeah, that's that's quite than, that's quite a beat. 
and good friend and confidant, Rich Smith. <laughs> Guy I sent a $100 check to a couple of months ago, Rich Smith. <laughs> every month, every month. <laughs> yeah, right. If I, if I don't send it, he beats me. <laughs> or send someone to beat me. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a poet. He doesn't have time to. But then he bills you for that. Um, for the beating? For, for the beating. <laughs> you really started falling behind. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes. Um, what have we been talking about? Oh, we were talking about the uh, your uh, interpretation of your book of poetry or prose. One's in, the, how the world interprets your book of poetry or prose. To what extent it's about what it's about. Right. Uh, and when I finish that, I f- then maybe I'll, I'll feel like the new year has has begun. Yeah. Um, oh, it's 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 a it's a it'll be an easy task. It's something I'll have to live with and see that language probably more over the next few years than I'll see the actual poems in the book. Yeah. Right. It's the this this paragraph is what I'll be explaining or apologizing for for the next few years, rather than the actual poems. People like will like or dislike the poems. That's fine, but yeah, um, hopefully they'll like them. I don't know. What's do you have a pub date yet? Maybe we'll our books will be published at the same time. The fall, the fall of two thousand seventeen or two thousand sixteen. Two thousand sixteen. Okay, mine's not You're coming out until next year. Yeah, spring of next year. Oh, yours is seventeen now. Yeah, in fact, the, this is. Um, I guess I guess I want to I guess I want to talk about revising a little bit because that's all I've been doing for the past two weeks. Um, and man alive, it does not get any easier to rip apart a book and put it back together. Um, if anything, I feel like it. I feel like it gets harder. Like it's related to your father calling you a conservative, right? This is something. Oh God, I got to tell you about Rian's mother's cabin too. Rian's mom, her late mother. Uh, used to she had a like a, a midlife transition to being a neoconservative, which was strange because she was an immigrant from uh, Wales, Wales and never did become a citizen. Um, though she loved living in America um, and loved the you know the place that she lived, uh, and I think felt like an American, but um, mm-hmm. never went through the you know she died at, at seventy. She never really went through the um, the process necessary to become an American. She just renewed her green card. Anyway, she became a, a rabid neocon and uh, would sometimes argue with Rian and me about politics. And when we actually got down to brass tacks, we didn't disagree about anything, ultimately. That it was kind of like a, an, an adopted cultural thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like she... I think she needed to feel like she was allying herself against change, which was, as it is to all of us, frightening. Um, but she used to say, just you wait. You're going to become conservative. Everyone becomes conservative as they get older. Uh, which, in terms of political alliance, that's not the case at all with Rian and me. I think we've become quite a bit more liberal, actually. But... Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm feeling that kind of hardening of ideas. Like once something gets planted, it's harder and harder to uproot it. Yeah. Um, And so a big part of middle age for me has been developing a hyper-awareness of that happening. Mm. And 
any kind of received notion that is appealing to me, I always have to pick it apart. And this is part of why I just can't be very political anymore, because even all the people I agree with, I get mad at. Like, I don't, I don't even want to, I don't want to believe them. You know what I mean? The things that yeah. are obviously true to, you know, too many cops are killing, killing too many black kids. Like there, you know, I am 100% on the side of that argument. And yet I can't participate in, on, in it online because I keep picking it apart. Things that like, because of my political affiliation, I should not need to be picking apart. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I think it's also, also part- I remember when you were hyper political, <clears throat> um, at a time that it was appropriate to be so in the mid, you know, during the, you know, post nine eleven, Bush years, yeah, Gulf War. I thought you were going to have a heart attack. You were so, yeah. so um, reasonably worked up about it. Yeah, <laughs> but you, it was. It seemed like it was intrusive. Like you could not stop. Yeah. Well, as I I said in a letter to somebody recently, I should know by now not to do or say anything under the influence of strong emotion. That I was so emotionally engaged with uh, with yeah. politics that it just colored everything in my life, and it really made me unhappy. I mean, there were reasons to be unhappy because things that I thought were bad were happening in the world. But yeah. um, well, events were making us unhappy. Sure. But anyway, I. I've been thinking about this in terms of writing because uh, I think I, you know, I've said to you and I've said on previous episodes of this podcast over the past couple of months, my editor's notes on this mm-hmm. novel had been late. They ended up coming about three months late. Um, it, of course, turns out that the reason they were late is because he just figured I don't need that much time and uh, I'm going to work on it over the winter. And he was perfectly confident in my ability to to do the necessary work and hand the thing in on time. So he wasn't, he was just doing other work. Meanwhile, I was thinking this will be impossible and I was panicking Mm -hmm. about it for months. Um, So I finally got the notes and I started revising a couple of weeks ago after getting my grades in and dealing with Christmas gifts and all that shit. And um, his edits are great. This is Ethan Nizowski. This is the fifth book we've worked on together. He is a Mm -hmm. fantastic editor, particularly of me. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, he's just a he's he's really good at being assertive about what he thinks a book needs, and also allowing uh, allowing the writer, in this case, very strongly me, to um, retain the things he thinks is important. And there are a lot of things in this book that are a little weird that I that I want to keep the way they are. So, like we found this v- very appealing, and I think uh, potentially uh, super successful middle ground. But all it is required for me is to just give up on some preconceived notions I have about the manuscript, what it was about, what I was trying to do, and how I yeah. want it to be shaped. And the fact yeah. is, those notions are not necessarily all that good. The thing, no. that, the thing that makes you do the thing is not necessarily – you think of it – I think of it as like having this special glow to it, right? It was like the, the force of inspiration, the, the fires of – you know, creative energy created this thing, and I have to pay some kind of uh, I have to I have to you know kind of worship the moment in which the mm-hmm. thing was conceived and begun, right? right? But it's it's nonsense. It's not more or less. Worth. You want to preserve the process in some way, right? Yeah, because yeah. It, it was the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go on. Well, that, that, that's, that's been my, my problem, I think, in my last few books, because I want to talk about the process. Given the chance of the, the opportunity to say how these happened, you know, what, what, what this book is, to me, it's how it happened. But that's yeah. not, to the reader, that's, to a third party, that's not, that's not what they have in their hands. 
No. They don't have in their hands this experience of years of thinking about things. They have what you came up with. And they might, uh, that's what you need to focus on, right? The thing that's in front yeah. of you. Yeah, well, becoming... becoming not, a, the, not the myth that you carry of it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. The, that, the power of that myth never goes away. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it feels like... Because a book for me, and I guess it's the case for most writers, is just an artifact of a time and a, and a series of feelings and thoughts and sessions of work that brought the artifact into existence. Well um, said, absolutely. And, and of course, the artifact itself is only about, it's only ultimately going to be about half of what I wrote, you know? Or, and, or less. Yeah. I mean, it's just like there's all this other stuff that I put in it at one point and took out. And there are, you know, the, my my the folder where I keep everything is littered with like a clipboard full of crap and and previous drafts and things that are, you know, it's not unrecognizable, but it's very different. But in my mind, that's all still there, right? All that material, all these all these iterations of these characters, all these different versions of these events, it's all part it's all part of the mythology, right? It's very much, it's very biblical in that you get the same stories over and over told by different people and you get these sort of non, non-gospel non portions that m might have ended up in the Bible but didn't ultimately that tell familiar stories in a different way that are fascinating because they kind of, you know, from a, from a literary point of view, they make the Bible seem very much like a novel that, <laughs> that you've written. Right. You know, there's right. all the stuff on the cutting room floor is kind of interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and like conspiracy theorists, mm. what we as the writers of the books have, what we, what we as writers have in common with conspiracy theorists is thinking that that stuff is the key. Yeah. That's, that stuff that's not in there is the real story, but it ain't. No, and the, that fallacy comes from you the You are idea. your own lone gunman, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I sure as hell am. Um, that whole that whole conspiracy is tied up in the incorrect notion that the final book is mine, or has something no. to do with me, or is an no. expression of an important expression of my feelings, and no one gives a shit about that except maybe for Terry Gross. If something in my <laughs> life happened that's vaguely similar to it, otherwise, <laughs> no. You know. They don't care. They have they have they have other things to do. No, and I don't think they should care. They're the they're right. I'm wrong, right? I'm writing it for them. I should be thinking about them. But it's very hard to take myself out of the mythology of the creation of the book and become a reader of the book and see what that person needs. And that person could be me. Ultimately, there's a version of yeah. me that ought to be able to to read it that way. Uh, but man, it's hard to do. So, uh, you know, it's painful to uproot chunks of a book, even though you know that three hours from now, when you do the thing you know you have to do, it's going to be better than it is right this second. And yet it's still, it's still painful. It's like fucking doing, it's like, uh, it's like Matt Damon doing surgery on himself on Mars. Okay. Do you, you want to try, you you try a different, you want to try a different? Analogy? A lot of my work reminds me of Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, sure. All right, here's a different analogy. So, Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Uh, okay, no, the, you know the Matt Damon movie where remember Ocean's Eleven. 
<laughs> where he's it's, it's got like the when fake Jason nose. Bourne it's is like trying to f- fake no. Yeah, it's like uh, what's the the male sissy Spacek, Ben Affleck, walking around the <laughs> desert. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. So, um, so you've set a, a, a later deadline for finishing. Uh, no, I should get to the end in about a week, and then I'm going to take a couple of days off, go to New York City, give a reading, come home, and go do one more full pass, and then Ethan's going to read it again. So I did a bunch of I solved some problems that he identified in ways that he did not suggest that I think are going to work very well, um, but there might be there might be repercussions to these adjustments that I'm not seeing. So um, he's going to give it another read. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty. I'm starting to get confident that it's going to go fine. I did not feel that way a week and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you've been up and down about it. Yeah. So the books won't come out at the same time, so we won't be able to do a uh, uh, a co-author tour slash lunchbox barnstorm. No, no. We'll have to do separate ones. Okay. Fair enough. Did Fair you enough. Um, did you take the boy to uh, take the boy to the Force Awakens? No, I think it's too violent. He's only three. Um, I mean, I saw so Star Wars uh, came out what seventy eight original one seven, I think. I think I'm pretty sure. I bet the I bet the internet knows. <laughs> so I was, I was six or seven. Seventy seven, yeah. And I thought that it was too. I was fascinated by it, but I thought it was it was too scary. Yeah. Even even Empire Strikes Back, which is seventy nine or so, eighty. I thought it was too scary for well, that, that eight. That one is scary. I, th- I think the I think Empire is uh, super dark. Yeah. So I think uh, you know unless unless he gets swept up in wanting to know what all of these uh, this environmental advertising is about, where everywhere you look there's a stormtrooper cup or a Darth. Darth Jr. poster. I think that that he will be a, a Star Wars ignorant for another three or four years. Yeah, that's fine. I went to see it. I dropped him off at daycare. And <laughs> oh, okay. Baghdad Theater and saw an eleven thirty <laughs> showing of it a couple of days ago. Was it in fact the same theater that you saw the original Star Wars in? No, you no, said no, you I'm might try to do Portland. that. Oh, when I was in Kansas, no, yeah. I didn't. Um, yeah. And all the th- all the theaters of my youth are gone. I realized after I said oh, that. No. Um, I uh, but it's a nice theater, the Baghdad Theater. It's a McMiniman Theater. Yeah, which means what? Uh, um, it's on hot. Repeat that. Cups repeat- of coffee. Repeat you were just saying cuz you froze you froze up. Try I'll again. Be back in sync. Okay. Yeah. Uh so I, I had the pleasure of of uh of uh, three cups of coffee to watch uh Star Wars. But I my uh, uh daycare called twice and Joe called once. <laughs> During No the one movie? calls me on the phone. Not my phone never rings. <laughs> no one's phone ever rings anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Even the postman just sends a text. <laughs> but he sends it twice. 
<laughs> no one's phone rings. And I went off three times during the movie. So, And then I also was f- comically fumbling with it at the beginning of the movie. So I didn't. I was like crawling on the floor trying to retrieve my phone from two seats ahead uh, during the crawl. So I didn't get to read the crawl. Oh, you know, no. You know, which was, I was, which was what I was envisioning going to see The Force Awakens. Uh, uh, what I pictured was getting to, you know, read that, that strange yeah. disappearing text. It's a good crawl. This movie has a good crawl, too. But I right? was crawling. Oh. I was with my hands and knees and popcorn to treat us and pee, probably. <laughs> it's a pretty probably. clean theater. Yeah. yeah by uh, theater standards, anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, I there, are, there are bits that I missed. Like I don't don't know what, I don't know what the setup is. I don't know how um, Han Solo and company escape the uh, uh, the, the showdown with the uh, other um, people that he owed money to. Oh, that's a fun scene. Then there was like some big monster that was seemed like it was going to be unleashed. Don't know, don't know what happened with that. It might have, that might have happened. Um, there was another time. So I miss there's little gaps. But there, yeah, I could, I could, I could fill it in. I liked it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I did too. I glad, glad to see it. I look forward to seeing. It. I'm going to see it again. I had an uncharacteristic. Um, I just, I became, I became uh, allergic to the internet after seeing it because, and I should have known there was a bunch of backlash about it. People, first of all, there's the whole like tro- troglodytes not liking a woman to be the the uh, hero but that's a, a woman and a person of color being heroes in the movie which is a, yeah a, absurd but of it, course but, people actually said that or have just people assumed that other people said that and got angry no, about it? i think i think it's just a cup a couple of idiots uh tweeting about yeah. it and then the tweets getting retweeted eight million times with people getting really pissed off about them yeah. but i think for the most part almost every man woman and child who saw it was delighted by those actors and those characters they were really really yeah. fun but anyway um people sort of complaining about the movie and if you know i i certainly am i i'm certainly on board with taking any film and sort of criticizing it as any as you would any work of art but the sort of Im- embittered angry dismissal of of it the main complaint is I, that I, I i didn't catch any of that yeah i think the main complaint is that it's all derivative it's all uh yeah. tropes that it's have the been seventh from, in a series yeah, exactly. And and more than that for me is I think it's a I think it's a remake of yeah, the first really. Star Wars movie. It's like very self-consciously saying, "Hey, we're in, in much in the way that myths get retold over yeah. and over as we were just discussing. Different versions of the same story get told. This happens in history as well. The same kinds of things often happen. We're just taking this Forward the turkey, years. the turkey wheel brings it back and back to the window <laughs> of your Burns National Refuge. <laughs> oh man, you, you're trying to trying to jam a few too many callbacks into that uh, into that line. <laughs> anyway, uh, my doctor told me to cut down on on callbacks in my jerky. Yeah. Um, well, he's a it was a doctor turkey that he's talking about because he sounds like a quack. Oh, 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 so good, so good. That reminds me. Did, uh, well, let me f- I'll finish my sentence. But uh, uh, I think it's, uh, it's uh, you know, I could have done without yet another Death Star. But uh, for the most part, they're doing it again, and they're s- slowly yeah. moving the old 
cast off stage and they're bringing in the new people and saying, we're going to do this kind of story all over again. And here's, yeah. you know, I, I just, I thought it was, I think it did almost perfectly what it set out to do. If, yeah. yeah. I certainly think you can criticize what it was trying to do, but. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a kid's movie. Right? I mean, no. it certainly it certainly has its has its meanings and resonance for us as adults. Sure, but it's the kids in this as adults. I mean, the audience for this movie is a, is a ten year old, yeah, uh, in a positive way. I mean, but so why not remake it? They didn't see it, and the original is kind of boring. Yeah, you know, to a ten year old now. You know? We the kids and I watched. God help us, we watched all six. <laughs> That's right. In like ten I, days. I, yeah, and uh, the. Uh, my, I I knew that I that I knew that I didn't like the the prequels. Um, they were mu- they were even dumber than I remembered them. They're really that's, dumb. that seems to be one of the effects of this movie is it show it casts into relief how horrible those were. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I got worried after we got through the prequels. Um, and there are little bits of the prequels that are pretty fun. I mean, they're there's, did you there's, watch them? Did you watch them in the in the order in the chronological order of 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 real life we, or the chronological order of the of the of George Lucas's bullshit. We, no, we did it we did 1 through 6. We did it in the okay. way that 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 asshole want, wanted us to watch them, which was 1 yeah. 2 3 4 5 6. There's something called machete order which where you throw out one and then you insert 2 and 3 between I can't remember exactly the order, but essentially it it, it gives you hold on um it's actually worth looking up um okay machete order is um you watch first you watch episode 4 star wars or a new hope as it's now called then you watch uh empire strikes back then you go back in time you watch number 2 Attack of the Clones, three Revenge of the Sith, and then you watch, so that it becomes a whole flashback, and then you get to Return of the Jedi, and I can see from a literary perspective, I can see how that would kind of work, and yeah, then you don't have to watch the Phantom Menace, but I actually wanted to do it the way I'm quote unquote supposed to do it. So, and the kids agreed. So we got the Blu-ray set of all six movies. We watched the first three; they were terrible. Um, and I started thinking, you know, th- th- it's the kind of bad where you think not only are these three movies bad, but maybe all Star Wars is bad. In fact, maybe movies are bad yeah. in general. Light and, is bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Flickering> lights. <laughs> We're just, just Graven gonna, images. Going to go to sleep forever now because yeah. it's yeah. all over. Um, yeah. But then we watched... You know the 1977 original movie, and it was okay. And then Empire Strikes Back is really good. It's really quite yeah. a good movie. And then Return of the Jedi is kind of lame, but fun. Uh, but this, I actually think this might Force Awakens might be the best Star Wars movie. I don't think it's quite as good as Empire Strikes Back, but it's it's good. It's a good movie. I was well. The thing that the image that stayed with me, and this seemed, I think, in its favor, um, was not nostalgic things like seeing oh that's the millennium falcon under that tarp right or oh look look there's han solo sort of um <laughs> or uh uh or, or the story stories there's no there's no story it's just people running yeah um 
was faces. It's a, the, the the Force Awakens is is mostly portraits. Mm. I mean, it's a lot of close-ups. It's a lot more close-ups than we get in you know some uh, Mark Ruffalo indie fair, right? <laughs> I mean, it was a lot more of a character study. Uh, an interesting study of faces of Adam, what's his name? Adam Dark Driver, Jr. yeah. Adam Driver's weird face. Yeah. Um, Finn's face. Uh, Harrison Ford's face. Sure. Well, right. and, and and of course... Even more they, precisely of lips, right? The thing about <laughs> humans in this show is they have distinctive lips. Whereas... <laughs> <laughs> the, the focus. So there, there's a lot of focus just on faces and on lenses. Yeah. And of course, you know, masks and, and masks and, not, and no masks is, is is a thing that the show's always been about. Yeah. Uh, but particularly, this was of of uh, uh, lenses, glasses, the eyes, um, seeing, not seeing, uh, being seen, not being seen. Um, just think, think how many times people are taking off their glasses in this or, or taking off their lenses or their visors in this, right? Actually, my the, favorite, one of my favorite shots in the whole movie is where Daisy Ridley has come back to her little hovel. And you, this is before you realize that she's actually living in a, um, an old fallen, what are those kind of walkers, AT-ATs, you know, the, the four-legged war thing, yeah, that's machine yeah. that's lying on the ground. <laughs> And she's sitting there, and she's about essentially the movie is about her transition into adulthood, right? She has been independent for a long time, but I think she's supposed to be like nineteen in the in the movie. Who knows? And she's about to do the stuff that is going to define her life, right? But at this moment, she still feels something like a child. She's waiting for her family to come back, uh, and she's just scavenged some stuff and sold it. And gotten some food in exchange, and she goes back to her place, and she's eating the food, and she has like a an old um, yeah. helmet from the yeah. you know from the uh, from the old uh, uh, old pilots, yeah, rebels uh, pilot helmet, and yeah. she puts it on, and gets a little smile on her face, and she looks up in the sky, and she's munching on her food in a way that like you would never eat on a date. Right when someone yeah. is watching you, she's completely yeah. unselfconsciously shoving food in her mouth and fantasizing about being a pilot, very much like the child that she kind of isn't anymore. But yeah. that is that's that shot lasts for a long time, and it's conveying all this dramatic information through through the way the through her facial expressions and yeah. her mannerisms. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that's one thing. Little- Little place that she has set up. Also, remember when Finn is is running, they're running and they're running. He's, yeah, I think she just got in a fight. And the first thing he says is, "Aren't there some glasses around here?" <laughs> Does he? Yeah. And I don't understand. I don't understand that piece of dialogue for anything else than to draw our attention to glasses, lenses, visors. Yeah, that is odd. It's like that. The thing that I love about the the Kylo Ren mask is that. He's is that essentially Darth Jr.? Yeah, yeah, Darth Jr. Yeah. So there's a moment where, you know, he's walking around and you everyone who has seen Star Wars understands he's the new Vader, right? He's the he's the new bad guy who wears a mask and a cape. And there's a bit where she's he's uh in he's um uh interrogating Daisy Ridley. What's her name in the movie? Ren. Interrogating <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interrogating Ren. And she says, you know, that you're just a monster in a monster in a mask and he impulsively just takes the mask off 
Yeah, he doesn't need it. And you realize he doesn't need it. No. And suddenly every his character falls into place. Han says it too. Because, right. Yeah. Yeah, because he yeah. is so you don't need it. But he's like he's like us. Darth Vader is as much of a legendary figure for him as yeah. he is for us, right? That like he is living in the Star Wars mythology as well. And that's the, you know the debris of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The way that she's in the, literally on on a, on a on a planet that's the debris of of a, of a battle that we saw. Yeah, I mean, I re- I really think it's a yeah. it's a con- it's a kind of brilliant piece of entertainment on its kind of like all the little visual signals that we get that convey character and convey the context of the story. Right, it's back into the the dream of the the dream of it, which was. Uh, which we started in the, those original movies and then sort of woke up to some nerdy, over-explained reality in, in uh, the prequels, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, those were not dreams of, of imaginative... No, those were footnotes. Those were, like, those were pedantic yeah. explanations for everything that we found delightful when we were 10 years old. Yeah. They, 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 they exist to ruin the fun. The prequels were made in order to ruin all the delightful, enigmatic qualities that the original movies... The original movies suggested this sort of deep, long culture. Um, you know, they were, they were corny, and they were sort of cheaply made, but they were also, they were also charming, and they suggested that they were just a small part of a big picture. And then the prequels come along, and they just demythologize everything. They yeah. just turn... They explain every last tiny thing. And that, that really sucks. This just think movie, how much it much sucked to read all the little books and novels and comic books that are related to it. <laughs> have you ever known devotees of those? I have not read a single one. I have not. I know a lot of a lot of people who get very esoteric about things, but I've never <laughs> known anybody who cares that much about Star Wars to get into <laughs> all of that. Even yeah. Star Wars fans. Yeah, I never try, I never bothered. I think I tried to read one and it just wasn't I, did, I was already into other kinds of science fiction, and I just didn't. I remember reading something that was some Han Solo novel, maybe in like 1982, when I was still, you know, an adult, a kid, and feeling like, oh, this is not, this is not relevant. <laughs> no. This is not. And what happened? Mind- this is a, this is a thing, a thing that happened to science fiction, though, as a result of Star Wars um, and some other big. TV things is that a lot of I think good science fiction imagination and talent went into writing, uh, got uh, uh, into writing things in these universes. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Do you think that you mean that that it sort of um, cast a shadow over all of science fiction ultimately? Well, it cast a shadow, but it, or I mean, um, but also made uh, uh, sort of uh, I don't know closed off a few fields of innovation in science fiction mm, okay possibility yeah. uh so i became distracted for a moment because i suddenly remembered when you were talking about the the uh it has a the extended universe which is yeah. all this all those books that happen in between stuff i suddenly remembered reading a really good novelization of et i was thinking about that recently too do you I without love, looking? I remember, I remember it. Without looking it up, do you remember who wrote it? No, but I know it's somebody who. Uh, you know, you, I'm buying a copy right now. <laughs> tell me who it was. 
William Kotzwinkle. <laughs> the fan man. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's right. I remember that, that a lot of the novel is from the point of view of the mother. Uh-huh. And I can't tell you how excited I am that this book was written by William Kotzwinkle. I remember a line of dialogue. I remember a scene from the novel that's not in the movie. Or the, the scene might be in there, but the, the point of view of the mother is. So she goes in. Uh, like she, I can't remember anything of the setup except that she's she's angry at the kids because they are like uh, um, you know uh, imagining something and she something that she also has been imagining but I think because Okay, you got to back it up and say it all again now cuz you cuz you froze. <laughs> Are you there? Yeah, I don't know if I can. <laughs> did I tell you about do I tell you about the iguanas? No. <laughs> yeah, I did miss the iguanas. Okay. There's a line in the novelization of ET. Okay. From the point of view of the mother, she's angry at the kids because they've they seem to have imagined something that she's imagined, and she if she feels invaded uh, because the the iguanas were hers. I remember that right. was that's the line. The iguanas are mine, <laughs> and it's then the 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 the, the novelization, to my memory, is largely about the anxiety, struggle, and anger of being a single mother. Wow, which William Kotzwinkel <laughs> would know a lot about. <laughs> So th- this is, I can't decide if these are the same, the same books. But there's E.T. the extraterrestrial, and then there's E.T. E.T. the Book of the Green Planet. Different books, I think. Uh, yeah, but Amazon is very confused about that. <laughs> it doesn't seem to know. Anyway, I, I'll figure it out. Uh, I am. I am going to freaking read these, dude. Can you read I'm both su- of them? If I'm there are super two? stoked. I'm going to, yeah, if there's yeah. two, I'm going to read them both. I'm very excited about them. Um, yeah, well, this, this reminds me, I talked to Kevin Canty about this once because I think he did a novelization once. I remember I so. sitting in the union talking to him about it. I don't remember what movie it was. I want to get that assignment because I like assignments, and I can. What would you like to? Would you like to not? You can set yourself that assignment. Probably be more lucrative if some actual movie company, (laughs) somebody's going to pay me for it. Your agent arranges it for you. Is it still done? Do people are there not? Because novelizations of movies was that a seventies thing, or is it? Is it done? I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I'm trying to think of. Of cases, because I think there were a lot of there were no shortage of movies before the seventies. Yes, I know. But there were movies that were either that were based on books, so the book already existed. Right. Right. Um. So I think the 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 novelization of of movies that that didn't exist as books before. My favorite in the genre, though, is the novelization of the movie Push, based on the novel by Sapphire. There's a novelization of the movie? There's a novelization of a movie based on a book. I'm sure there's probably several cases of this. But that's the best one because it's, it's, it, has the, it has the title of the movie is, 
you know, I think contractually pushed based on a novel by Sapphire. Right. So it's a novelization that is not the original, the initial novel. And here's another category. I'm looking at Wikipedia on Wikipedia's novelization. There are a lot of page sometimes now. you see abridged versions of a novel that a movie is based on. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Um, orphaned novelizations. It says in some cases an otherwise standard novel may be based on an unfilmed screenplay. Ian Fleming's 1961 James Bond novel Thunderball was based on a script he'd co-written. In this case, his collaborators subsequently sued for plagiarism. Peter O'Donnell's novel Modesty Blaze was a novelization, excuse me, of a, re- a refused film script. Frederick Forsyth's 1979 novel The Devil's Alternative was based on an unfilmed script. Um, occasionally a novelization is issued even though the film is never made. Uh, I'm I'll, I'm interested in that subcategory, though, of no- well, be good, novel- say. novelizations of movies based on books. It'd be, it'd be it'd be an interesting essay. Just that whole all those weird little exceptions and, and oddities, right? Yeah. Novels novels based on unfinished, unfilmed screenplays. Um, the larger category is, is of course great ideas that were never screenplays or books, although people <laughs> talked about it. And the, the 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 years of discussion and dialogue of a person explaining the great idea that they're going to turn into either a book or a <laughs> Or a screenplay, and then never did. And then there's um, maybe he's still going to write it. Uh, um, Dave Gilbert was going to write a novel. A, what the hell was it? No, no, it was something else. He's going to write something called After Godzilla, which is a novel about. An, I should maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, nobody cares. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I like the idea of writing a novelization of a non-existent movie. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a bit like the, the play of ghostwriting, you know, ghostwriting someone's memoirs. Seems to be a relationship, novelizations and uh, ghostwriting. Yeah. In, in both cases, there's a, um, there's an absence in both of them, right? Yeah. Oh, wait, here's another one. Uh, here's one. Uh, there was a novel made of Total Recall. Piers Anthony wrote a novel called Total Recall. Which was based on the movie that was based on the Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, uh, this is an article from the the Houston Press from 2012. Ten, top ten novelizations that are actually worth reading. Do you want to hear some of them? Yes. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Chosen by Nancy Holder. Okay, it was originally a comic book, wasn't it, Buffy? Um, maybe it was actually. So that's another. Yeah, yeah. So that's another one. Comic book that became a movie. That became that a novel. wasn't great. That then became a TV show. Yeah. It was great. And then, according to this, a novel that's pretty good. Uh, Orca by Arthur Herzog. <laughs> Do you remember Orca? <laughs> yeah, I remember Orca. It was a Jaws ripoff. Uh-huh. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a novelization of um, Gremlins. Yeah. That they're saying. Also, oh my God. Number five, The Death and Life of Superman by my old neighbor, Roger Stern. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Ithaca Comics writer. He was, um, he was one of the original writers of the Death of Superman um, comic. Uh-huh. And then that got, um, that got made into a movie that got made into this book. He also, he also wrote a novelization in the... 
I don't know if it still exists, the series Smallville, which was about yeah. the young years of Superman. He was doing novels for them, too. Um, huh. So look at that, Roger. Uh, yeah, there's Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So it's a novelization of a... Or is it a novelization of a movie of a video game? Anyway, and apparently Alan Dean Foster wrote a good alien book. Okay, I believe that. I haven't thought of him for a long time, but I read a lot of his books. He wrote he wrote some Star Wars universe books too, I think. Really? Yeah. I think he wrote a he wrote a significant one. Uh kind of a Darth Vader book in the late 70s. It's all about uh Vader's ant farm that he yeah, had. Yeah, an ant farm. His alien ant farm. Back on Tatooine. Tatooine? Sure. Where he's from? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Desert, desert planet. Because in Star yeah. Wars, planets only have one climate. Yeah, it's all a things desert, are all desert, desert, all water. Yeah, all things, all things of water, yeah. all things of jungle, all cities. Well, it's the imagination. That's what we want. Yeah. So, what movies would you, would you like to do a novelization of? That's a good question. You mentioned I Gremlins. I'd like to. I'd like to see a novelization of Gremlins two. <laughs> which is the real masterpiece in the Gremlins movies. Is it really? It, it is. Gremlins 2 is a great fucking movie. Yeah. I, Gremlins I 2, don't think I've ever Gremlins seen it. Gremlins 2, Small Soldiers by the same director. I think it's Joe Dante. Yeah. These are great movies. Um, You know what else is a good movie? Uh, Babe 2, Pig in the City. Babe 2, Pig in the City is a good movie. It's a very good, uh -huh. very strange movie. We watched movie. it up at the cabin a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that maybe you than Babe. That maybe you shouldn't show your child. I <laughs> know, <laughs> yeah. oh, I think Babe is a great movie, but Babe 2 is a completely different kind of... Who who yeah. directed it? Don't it was know. Direct, directed by someone who... Um, Tarantino. <laughs> you're, I don't think you're that far off. George Miller. George Miller of Road Warrior. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. Right? Well, that's right. In, Australian, all right. Yeah, and in the wake of Fury Road, I wanna now I want to go back and watch Babe Pig in the City. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did make I quite reasonably didn't make that connection. <laughs> of course, quite it's defensively not did not make that connection. <laughs> uh so yeah, maybe I maybe maybe I should do a novelization of Pig in the City. Yeah. This is this is timely. open call uh, with any twenty sixteen watts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sit around waiting for it. <laughs> what what twenty what twenty sixteen wants twenty sixteen gets. That's the motto for the year. Uh, so yeah, this is an open call. Anybody, we're this. No doubt, we're going to get a flood of new listeners from the Stranger Piece, uh, and many of them, no no doubt, will be film. Uh, Most of them film executives. Most of them are film executives. executives. I yeah. am I am available with for, a literary bent. I am available for uh, novelizing. Yeah, I would novelize there, anything. I would novelize. I I would consider it a challenge. To you can give me any piece of schlock, and I would I will try to novelize it. Yeah. Would, the schlockier movies, the better, really. I think. Yeah. Are there any movies you'd like to uh, write poemizations of? <laughs> I would like to write poemizations of Gremlins, starting with Gremlins Two. Um. <laughs> I like to write a trilogy of, of poemizations, Gremlins 2. Um, uh, maybe some sort of Chipmunks movie. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. 
Okay. Poemized Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Go to work. From You're... 19. No, no, Dragon Master. <laughs> Dragon Master. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read those. Yeah. Well, are you talking movie? about the series? Wasn't there a series? Oh, it's a movie. Or I was thinking of a series. I think they made a movie from the series. Uh, I think he has like a. He's a dragon master, but he has like a ferret or something that he. Gotta have a ferret. Also has. Maybe it's not really a ferret. Well, there's something called Dragon Master Foundation. We believe in the power of big data. Oh, we believe that oh. a cure for cancer can be found if we all work together. That's not the plot. I tell you about my comp. I tell you about my composition student a few years ago who wrote a research paper about dragons, and I could not convince her that dragons weren't real. No, really. I was like, you know, I was, I was, I said that oh, that that's that's that sort. It doesn't really fit the assignment. <laughs> you seem very enthusiastic about it. I'm a little scared of you, so I'm going to go ahead and allow it. <laughs> um, and I remember, like in some con- some conferences, the paper was c- coming to a close. Like you, you do understand that dragons aren't real. And she just looked at me, looked at her dragon eyes, like saying telepathically, "Oh, really?" <laughs> I think I gave her an A. Of course you did. Of course you gave like her a fucking course A. Of action. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Here, take take them all. Have all the A's. Have all the A's. You get everybody else's A's. <laughs> everybody else's credit. You graduate. Go away. Uh, all right. Let's we're gonna wrap this thing up. I gotta go uh either make or eat some pancakes. I, I I'll find out when I get to the kitchen. Um, yeah, I need to tell you about some food though first. Okay, go for it. So I went I went to Kansas and ate nothing remarkable. Like a no remarkable food related cool, things for cool Christmas story, except for a bro. Fitbit. I got a Fitbit. I thought you were going to say you ate a Fitbit. I'm going to eat that Fitbit. But I have eaten well in Portland. Yeah. Two restaurants. Okay. La Moule. La M O U L E. La Moule. Okay, I'm looking at it. La Moule, Moule, La Moule. M what? M O U L E. La Moule, Moule, La Moule, Moule. Here it is. Okay, what do you want to tell it's me a, about it? It's a mussels and fries restaurant mm. in Portland. Moules, Moule frites. Oh yes, I like the look of this. Very good. I'm seeing the word garlic a lot. Brothy. That's yeah, good. Very brothy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got your poutine. A lot of parsley. Getting further and further from the Canadian border, poutine. Whiny. Very good. La moule. Very nice. Okay, very good. Cocktails look good, too. I'll, I'll link to it. Und? Ja. Stammtisch? Stamtisch. Stam, S T A M M. Tisch. Table, T I S C H. Stamtisch. Stamtisch PDX.com. And this is a uh, this is a German themed restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a buck it's... in the logo there. Hier sitzen die, die immer hier sitzen. What does that mean? Once you, you sit, sit here, you can never you leave. Always, <laughs> you will never. You're always leave sat this here. Restaurant. You're always here, Jack. And it's just, <laughs> it's just endlessly zooming in on the photo from the, the lodge in The Shining. 
Oh man, yeah. Okay, there's. I don't see. Oh, there. There's. A, there's links up at the top there. I want to see. So it's a, it's a, it's sausages largely, right? Good. Sausages and pretzels, yeah, but uh, surprisingly spicy. Good. Everything I don't associate with uh, uh, German food um, is any spice aside from Nazism. Right. <laughs> but there's a lot of kind of curryish things, curry and and uh, there's a lot of you know sausagey flavors, fennel. And things like that, but it's also kind of a lot of sweetness and uh, um, a lot of a lot of variety. The curry worst looks very good. Fried pork and veal sausage with house curry ketchup. Yeah, yeah, uh, I didn't like that. I didn't like the ketchup. I no, I just like one kind of ketchup, regular ketchup. Yeah, you're like most people in that respect. I like that. the I only ways. Other, I don't like... mind other sauces, but I don't think other sauces work the same way that ketchup works as a in the same like you think you think ketchup, ketchup you is... gotta, if you're having some ketchup you have you're dipping things in it you're gonna eat a lot of ketchup it actually right. sounds um a little bit uh it sounds a little bit sacrilegious to even call it a sauce ketchup ketchup is this was originally a fish sauce for fish or made right. of fish it's original. Its origins are like it's a Cambodian fish sauce. What really? A Burmese f- fish sauce that then got, you know, through colonial uh, tastes, got turned into this kind of wonderful tomato and sugar paste. You know what? Now that you're, you are of course correct. Uh, at least the internet is confirming what you say, and. Um, what a difference there is between those two things. Now, yeah, right. But now that this has been brought to my attention, it suddenly seems very much like a South Asian or Asian uh, yeah. derived sauce. It's not dissimilar to things like plum sauce and fish sauce. It says here, in the 17th century, the Chinese mixed a concoction of pickled fish and spices, and they called it, I can't pronounce these things, but two. uh Chinese words that um, in the Amoy dialect that are look like ketchup. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they stand for Heinz fifty-seven. <laughs> two ideograms. The fifty-seven yeah. means the different the many dynasties yeah. in the history of China. Um, it had it had made it to the Malay states by the eighteenth century, and that's where it was discovered um, by English explorers. So, like Malaysia and Singapore. Um, and the Indonesian Malay word for the sauce was K E C A P, pronounced ketchup. Damn, who'd have thought? Internet. Well, that ketchup doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would have arisen in no English or North European cuisines, right? No, it might well, have been dreamed of and longed for. <laughs> it is said there One is might a sauce. Sail. One might sail a long distance to acquire it, <laughs> but oh yes, Pi- piloting your Kwanzi ke- is not uh, your ketchup really frigate. Yeah, part of the, the Indian fleet. Ocean. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, all right. So, so you uh, go make some pancakes. Stamish and Stamtish. You know that I'm saving up Stamtish. I'm saving up saving up these links for when I next come to Oregon. Which hopefully will be soon. 
Well, unless the unless the the militia takes the whole damn state over. <laughs> Starting in Burns, it may take a while <laughs> to get to to Bend or Pendleton. Yeah. And then uh I'm going to Pendleton soon. Well, it's like the Africanized killer bees. Yeah, they never quite. There's a lot Any of charts. There are a lot of charts and maps. They never quite come. Any day now, they're going to they're going to get your baby. What were you saying? All right. You're saying I'm gonna... going to Pendleton next. I'm going to go. I'm going to investigate that part of Oregon. So okay. I'm going centrally. I'm going to go to Pendleton and read at the Pendleton Community College next month. I'm going to go steelheading out yeah. at Stubblefield's family place and monument. Nice, nice. Steelheading. Steelheading. That's. I'll tell you more about steel. That's what this this winter is all about. Steelheading, John. Okay. All right. All right. That's see. That sounds like a resolution to me. Yeah, it's a resolution. Steelheading is a resolution. I actually just wrote to uh, Robert and Deborah, um, feeling them out for people we might rent a house from for a week in Missoula because we want to go to oh, Missoula nice. in July. Do a house trade. That, I suggested that too because I know Deborah likes it here. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, as long as we're promote, we're as long as we're pre-announcing some readings, we're going to do. I'm going to be reading at the new, fairly new. Long Island City reading series in Queens at the Long Island City Bar on the 12th of uh, Januar. That's a Tuesday evening uh, in Queens, in New York. Okay. Run by Catherine Lasota, who works for Electric Literature, our parent magazine. Very and good. Very she's, good. she's a terrific person and is running a really fun series. So I'm going to read with two other dudes I haven't met before. And I'm going to read a new story that's now under submission. Um, a new story. A new short story. A new very short story. I do a thing with my grad students when I teach the graduate workshop. At the end of the semester, um, we have 13 weeks, and the, the normal workshops, each person in the, of the eight gets three workshops. and then at, So we're done after 12 weeks. So week 13, everyone, including me, writes a 1,000-word story. And ah. we, like, um, we like speed workshop yeah. all nine mm-hmm. stories. So the one that I wrote I, uh, is the only sort of new piece of short fiction I've written in the past few months. and I'm going to read that. It's called Circuit City. It's short. I like, I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck. Uh, when you come back, we can talk about Steelheading and your time in Pendleton. One, advi- one piece of advice. So you should call it Circuit City, The Force Awakens. <laughs> Done. All right. Farewell. Talk to you later. Bye. Are you hungry for lunch? Then let's have lunch Do you want some lunch? Well then we'll give you some lunch Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well then come to lunch Cause it's time for lunch Box with Ed and John That's right, it's time for lunch